This Tuesday, Ireland head to Sweden in a bid to keep their World Cup hopes alive. Five yards out, in towards O'Sullivan with the header! And a hat-trick! Full live and exclusive commentary on Tuesday at 5.30, only on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. Boom. We, as ever, on a Monday morning, go through the, uh, the good, the bad and the grand from the weekend sport. We will start with the bad, as ever, and a couple of football talking points here. We're going with a list of individuals today. We're, we're calling people out, uh, or actually just uh, pointing out how unlucky they've been in certain situations. Not quite sure who's um, who's in a, in a worse situation this morning. Matt Doherty, obviously, the season's over. But Eric Ten Hag, walking in the door at Manchester United, mustn't be an overly excited man after what he's seeing at the moment for Manchester United. The result on Saturday, uh, another disaster for United. Didn't really look like they were up for the game whatsoever after what Burnley had done to Everton midweek. And then for that Everton team to turn Manchester United over is humiliating for Fortress this Goodison. Team. Frank Lampard, he's back. It, it, it exists. It's definitely a thing, Fortress Goodison. And also, you kind of have to, you have to laugh at Burnley getting beaten at the weekend as well, right? On the road after Sean Dyche was saying these lads won't lay, gloving us. They're, they're on the road. They can't do anything on the road. Burnley go on the road this weekend, last weekend, and they end up getting beaten, which is. Uh, Quite funny. I mean, you got to give at like, Norwich. Yeah, at Norwich. Sorry, that is the the key point here. Uh, you got to feel a little bit uh, happy for Frank Lampard getting getting that one back over no. Sean Dyche. Oh no, I'm I'm having it. I'm. I, yeah, you like Frank Lampard? No, I, I like him in this situation. I, I like Frank Lampard. You'd when, pick when Lampard he, over Dyche. In, in this week, I think it's pretty funny when people have egg on their face, and even if even if I love them or hate them. Right. It's, well, there was enough egg. egg, egg, egg there's enough egg to go around. I mean, maybe Lampard makes it out now. It looks like. Looks like he's going to get... Look, this is definitely one of those relegation battles where you can't pencil in points for anybody just yet. No. Um, So on on Ten Hag... uh, Why is he in the red? Come on, he's got like the best job in the world, right? Antonio Conte has just said this week, it's amazing that we have a week off. Harry Kane is so unbusy, he ends up doing golf commentary for Sky at the Masters last night. He was like a walk-on... Late call up. Come on, you're here. You can come. On. What? You just playing football yesterday against? No game for a week because they're out of everything. We're out of every cup, says Antonio Conte. That's what's important, and that's what's going to be the situation for the new Manchester United manager next year. They're not even going to be good enough to qualify for the European Conference League, which is exactly what you want. If you're coming in, you're like, I've got a week to prepare for every game. I'm going to get knocked out of the League Cup very early. I'm going to throw my hat at the FA Cup and say no thanks in my first season. Bad omen for Dutch managers winning the FA Cup. At Manchester United, and uh, I'll have no games except the the thirty odd league games, and that's it. That that will be ideal. There's still a chance, obviously, that they qualify for the Conference League or the Europa League if, if Arsenal and West Ham drop uh, like lead over the next couple of weeks, which is which isn't beyond the bounds of possibility. But like away from that, I'm I'm talking about Ten Hag looking at what Manchester United has done to managers over the last little while, and I'm not saying the ma- the managers are like not guilty or uh, you know culpable in in any failings at the club. I'm just saying, name a manager post Alex Ferguson who has come out of Manchester United without their reputation in tatters. Maybe Van Hal to a point, but 
his reputation has been diminished rather than being destroyed and being left in tatters. Whereas, like, you look at everybody else and it seems that their stock has plummeted. And Ten Hag knows that and his, he's going into this with his eyes wide open. And he looks at a man like Ralph Ranić, whose stock was pretty high, you'd have to say, last December and was, was well thought of. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe reputation isn't important. But it definitely feels that the Ralph Ranić stocks have plummeted over the last little while. And it's hard to even know if he's the guy to blame because so many other managers have come in and failed miserably. On top of that then, like because we pointed the fingers at managers for so long over the last little while, I think maybe the players and their quality, uh, and I'm talking about them as footballers, not as people, uh, their, their quality maybe has been glossed over a little bit. Like you look at the quality of Manchester City against Liverpool yesterday, yeah. and you look at even at their peak, this at it. their peak form, how many of these Manchester United players were getting there? I love, love a combined 11. If None. You're, if you're gonna, um, the only th- people that could be on the precipice of making it would be peak Bruno Fernandes. And what maybe, position, though? Instead of who? Well, yeah. That's, None. Well, OK, but that, that's when we get into that. But like, I'm, I'm talking about the quality of the player. He, he could potentially, at his peak last season, could have made it into one of those teams. And maybe, maybe peak Borussia Dortmund, Jadon Sancho. But no. I, I think they're both, no. they're, they're both leaps. I'm just, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying maybe. But like, the reality is that Manchester City wouldn't look at Manchester United and say, if, if I got a free transfer, a free 10-year deal on that guy, or a free whatever, two-year deal on that guy, whatever is better, uh, I would take that person. And I think that illustrates the, the massive problem that Ten Hag has because the expectation isn't going to dim. Every new manager who's come into Manchester United has got this expectation of, like, we're back. Well, the expectation has been blown up now by the fact that they are so bad at the moment. As it stands, they wouldn't qualify for the Conference League. Uh, they are a, they're behind on goal difference, West Ham, but they have a game in hand. Mm. So there's a danger they might qualify for it yet. That would be an absolute nightmare. But then again, like they they have such pride in their academy that letting the, the kids yeah. go out and play every week in the Conference yeah. League may not be the worst thing. The Europa League, in a way, might, might actually be the worst situation because they're thinking to themselves, we might actually go and win this and try and qualify for the Champions League. The Conference League, the prize is only to qualify for the Europa League, so there would be no incentive and you could just play the kids in that, which, which might be bad. And, and that is what Ten Hag's job Assuming he is going to be Manchester United manager, by the way, it is going to, to be that. I just wonder, will he have the ability to, to, to be given patience? And, and did, we, did we underrate the job that Solskjaer was doing with this shower? Yes. Yes, 100%. And that's not to say that Solskjaer is a good manager or a great manager or anything like that, but there, it definitely felt like all of us, I definitely thought that Solskjaer was, was largely at fault because I thought that Bruno Fernandes would get into the Manchester City slash Liverpool team last season. I thought that maybe a, a fully firing version of Pogba, if there was like a manager with real credentials, could have been something that Manchester United fans could have seen. Those two players in particular at, at their very best could have brought Manchester United to, to a better level. But, but maybe actually we didn't focus enough on the, the lack of quality in the squad. Like nobody needs to hear anything more about Harry Maguire or Cristiano Ronaldo, but at both ends of the pitch they've, they've got... Uh, They've got just two, two really, really poor signings at this point and you've got Ronaldo slapping a phone out of a fan's hand and smashing it on the ground and there's an investigation into assault right now. It's just everything that, that could possibly go wrong in the soap opera is. It's like it's verging on dream team territory, you know? Yeah, which is actually the time that you want to be coming into a situation like this where expectations are low. You get to say, that player, 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 and that player are gone and anybody you bring in uh, should be better. Now, that that isn't always the case. They they bought. Remember who was the Southampton midfielder they bought that we'd forgotten about? Schneiderlin. Yeah, like they they might sign a lot of Schneiderlins again. That's possible. Uh, a lot of players who just aren't capable of stepping up and who aren't good enough. So it's not guaranteed that it's going to automatically be better next season. But you would say this is the the floor for how bad it can get when the amount of money that they have available to spend on wage on the wage bill 
is what it is. You should always be able to buy some quality at that level. You would think so. But then again, like it felt that Ralph Ranić was in a similar enough position at the turn of the year when he came in that, you know, this is a free pass essentially for a manager coming in. Not a very <laughs> active transfer window though, right? Yeah. Like, because they, they, they had decided, I think, really quickly that he wasn't going to be the guy, that this wasn't going to be an opportunity for him. And so they, they're not quite sure what type of player they're going to buy. Whereas with Ten Hag, you would assume that you would assume Donny van de Beek gets an opportunity next season to, to fit into the team and the system and that um, you know he'll have between uh, the summer and uh, Christmas to see if he can make it at Manchester United with a manager who understands what he's actually capable of or else he comes in and burns him out straight away and it's like well I actually know what he's capable of no thanks I don't want that I want better players so you know it's not I, I see the point in Ten Hag and um, I, I would have I would have actually said that he's a winner the, the, the further they fall between now and his official arrival the better it is for him because he looks better with each passing moment well like he, he will look better with each passing moment once he's in the hot seat and actually manages to get some results like as, as I say I think that there's, they've tried a lot of different tactics with the manager and a lot of different types of managers and they've all failed think of it as the Andy Reid slash Wes Hulen impact when you're not playing <laughs> you can't do yourself any damage when you're not managing you're not at the club you can't make any decisions just yet nothing to do with you this is not my shit show this is Ralph Rannick and uh, and the football hierarchy's problem not mine yeah, potentially, but like I, I, my point is that he's quite worried. I, I would suspect looking at looking at what's happening over the last little while, and right. I, I just ho- hoping rather than expecting that he'll be given the patience. James McCullough, what is Owen smoking? McElroy's in the amber after almost pulling off the greatest comeback since Lazarus, but Munster Rugby are missing after following up a poor performance with another worse one. James McCullough read Munster Rugby thirteen man Exeter were disappointed they didn't win by more against Munster in the Champions Cup following their previous week's performance. This was atrocious. We'll, we'll get into the details of Munster chapter and verse with Alan Quinlan a little bit later on. But uh, who, what, who else have you got in the red? I also like to kind of spread the love between the sports. We've got Robert Balakun coming your way in the green in the moment. We might have a bit of a, a Munster segue or two in there. But Matt Doherty's in the red as well. Obviously, his season is over. It's probably um, Ireland that are in the red, really, as much as anything else. And Tottenham, as you say. Uh, um, Diego, Matt... Oh, sorry, what was Matt Doherty's nickname again? I've just completely... Uh, I've drawn a blank on the... Diego Mar- Maradocrity. Yes, that was it. Wow. Okay, that was... Because uh, was... when you can't pronounce the name properly, it, it helps. It just really does, yeah. So... Uh, Diego Maradocrity. He doesn't, doesn't quite work, does it? No. He's gone. He's gone. His season's over for, for Tottenham. And it is a setback for Spurs, given the way he's been playing over the last little while. But also, it's going to be a big setback for Stephen Kenny. The Nations League games in June are huge. And I'm not sure. I think that when we get to June and we get to these Nations League games those people who thought that maybe the, the referendum on Stephen Kenny was over, I, I'm not sure could it start bubbling to the four again because people would be like, you said you wanted to win the Nations League or you were going to win the Nations League and now you're not doing it sort of thing. I just think there's a, a tiny bit of pressure on these Nations League fixtures and he'll want everybody available for that. Matt Doherty would be a surprise now at this point given the severity of the injury, the reported injury that he's going to make it. It was literally wall-to-wall quotes about Doherty, it, certainly in all the Irish media, but all the English media as well. If you were looking, you were finding that people were holding him up as the exemplar of... Good management for Conte. He had one foot out the door and now he was back in and they were talking about him starting next season as the first choice uh, right wing back. And that's still possible depending on the severity of the injury. There's a debate about whether or not they're going to let it um, settle down or if he's going to have surgery straight away. So if they manage that properly and he's back for the start of next season, I think that would be a, a good achievement from here. 
uh, it, there were better stories from an Irish perspective over the course of the weekend in football just to kind of handpick a couple of them you should check out Colin Whelan's goal for UCD against Sligo he's the Ireland under 21 star uh, brilliant goal but also some vintage Joey and Doe commentary in there the welcome to heaven tagline has been given to Colin Whelan at this point and then Troy Parrish over the water again just with a, another goal for MK Dons another absolute belter for MK Dons against Wimbledon no less at the weekend a sort of beautiful volley off the outside of the boot, you know, when you're on the wrong side, the Canio style, and, and you go with the, the, the boot closest to the goal and off the inside, uh, kind of as a set play broke down. It was an absolutely sensational finish. It's a seventh goal of the, the season in League One, obviously made a, a good start to life at, at MK Dons. Things settled down for him a little bit, and then over the last little while, after going four months without a goal, he's got four goals in his last six games. So he's absolutely flying at the moment. They're obviously in the, the upper echelons of League One. They've got a couple of games in hand. It's going to be tough for them to, to get automatic promotion but he'll certainly be a playoff footballer at the end of the season, at the very least. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we move on to the grand then, the amber. And to, I guess it's interesting, uh, the commenter who said there a moment ago, who said that Rory McIlroy, after one of the greatest comebacks of all time, should be in the green. And, and part of me tends to agree with that and to kind of like stick on the, the positive side of Rory and to kick things off on, on that front. There was a lot of talk last night, that, especially from Butch Harmon, that you know, Rory is back now. This is the sort of performance that, that will kind of like relaunch his career a little bit, certainly in the context of majors. And I could be very excited for, for the US PGA next month, and you might have him down as a, as a potential winner. That remains to be seen. But if he does manage to get over the line, and, and this is a sort of rocket launcher for him, regardless of whether or not he wins the Masters, you have to say that McElroy is, is back in the conversation of being... The, the best golfer of his generation and, and beyond being in the, the, the conversation of it because it did feel over the last little while that the narrative around it was that there was a, a coterie of United States golfers who'd come through that were just better than McElroy. That, that McElroy burst through in the, you know, the, the Tiger is injured and now missing phase and he filled that void brilliantly and was definitely the most talented uh, golfer who came through in those years. But that kind of, as I say, that tranche of, of Americans were just that little bit better than him and, and Rory would struggle to be anywhere near as dominant as he, as he might have looked in the early stages of his career. So he, himself, and, and if you look at the, the current golfers of, of his generation, himself and Kepka are on four majors at the moment. Jordan Spieth is on three. DJ Marikawa are on two. And then you've got Scheffler, Ram, Bryson and JT on one. So does McIlroy end up being the most decorated major performer out of that collection of golfers there's every chance he does and I think if he does that he'll have to go down as the, the best golfer of his generation which I, I'm not sure if, if people were expecting that a couple of years ago You're saying that he is going to win more majors The evidence of yesterday would suggest that he is but I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that he will because it's not that we've been in this exact place before like I mean he hasn't shot a 64 in the final day of Augusta National before uh, like he's had very very good days in the final day of the Masters when he's been out of contention and, and that is where he gets brought into closer to red territory here this, this idea that you know when the pressure is off Rory McIlroy delivers especially when it comes to the Masters and maybe that's the truth maybe that, maybe that is the truth but, but it wasn't necessarily a completely pressure free scenario when things started ratcheting up for him yesterday. Like, I mean, he wasn't in contention, so it's, it's not the pressure that Scheffler was feeling or anything like that, but he does walk away from yesterday now having won three of the four majors, and in the fourth major, he's come second. So he's, he's, he's right there, and 
like I feel that if McElroy wins one uh, Masters, the whole idea of him being, you know, a, a final day merchant when there's no pressure on him, that conversation will totally disappear. Yeah, exactly. But, but like th- that's just way there's no nuance in that conversation whatsoever. No, like no, so, because, and there can't be because like the whole point, he, he's literally at this stage only playing to try and win that Masters in in terms of his his legacy. It's like you know that list of that very short list of career Grand Slam winners. Like he can keep winning. If, if he was to start winning majors again, I think that would be a massive breakthrough, and it would definitely help him win the Masters uh, if he was to win one of the other ones. But I, I, I think that like we can't just pencil him in for more success in majors on the back of this. Like, um, it's hard. It's hard to like. It was brilliant to see him, uh, but there, there was a put on nine where it would have been four birdies in a row if he got it. Well, he, he birdied ten, so it would have been his third in a row that would have absolutely ramped up the pressure and it just couldn't get to that point where it was turning the screw in the way that like Peak Tiger would Peak Tiger have won from that situation yesterday? From McElroy's starting point? Yeah. No. You don't think that like when the charge was on and when there, there were shots being dropped? No, there was just too much of a gap. Like, it, it, that, and that, that's where the kind of like when there's no, the, the no pressure on McElroy's situation does have I can see why people are making that argument again this morning because He's having a prayer, and like all, like it did, it did look. You know what? He, he he might do something here, but it was it was totally based on the presumption or the idea that Scheffler would drop a few shots. Like that was the whole idea that, that Rory, like Rory was putting himself into position to put the, the the scare on Scheffler and for him to to come back a little bit. That's all. That's all he could have done yesterday. Like there's no way he could have like it wasn't in his hands, and and that's why the pressure was off him. So I, I can see why people are, are making that argument. I'm not sure if I personally agree with it, but but that's why it's there. Like, Tiger could have could have maybe bested the the course record. He could have gone to 63, 62, maybe. Like, is it enough in the end to be uh, Scotty Scheffler in the end? It's it's not. So. Well, it might be though. That's the thing we don't know. That's the the bit where you don't put the pressure on, where it's not like I need this put. You know, mm-hmm. the like Scheffler, Scheffler controlled the field. Like it was it was never in doubt. That was the point. Like the, the thing is, like uh, the, what Tiger does when he's rocketing up the leaderboard is that you hear the roar, and and that is what puts the pressure on on a leader. But McIlroy was doing that yesterday. Like you could you could hear it when television coverage was co- was covering Smith and Scheffler. You could hear a massive roar from elsewhere in the course, and he knew exactly where it was coming from because there was only one other person in that collection of golfers chasing down the top two who would get that sort of roar. Like I, I saw Wright Thompson making the point that actually there were open spaces on the ropes around Scheffler's final round yesterday, which are usually five or six deep that there wasn't such a coronation uh, to, to this whole thing as you would have had with Tiger in 2019, for example, that actually the, the mood was all around McIlroy. He, he was the story yesterday, and people wanted him to do it. Yeah. Um, so he, does, he doesn't have the Tiger level of, of presence, absolutely not. Nobody's saying that. But he does still have that presence, and he, he, what he did yesterday, I'm sure, did factor into the mind of Scheffler a little bit. But he started playing conservative. He started making very intelligent shots, Scheffler, and, and, and that's what won him the competition. All right. Uh, will you move on to something else? Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on to Robert Balakoon and uh, his couple of tries for uh, Ulster at the weekend. I'm not sure, what did you make of the two, the first of the two legs? Uh, like, I mean, I think from an Irish perspective, it was, I think we're looking back and these saying that was a pretty fun weekend and everybody's excited for a weekend too. Yeah, the, the, like it is, it's a weird, I guess next week we'll know exactly how well or otherwise it works. It seems to have worked very well in most of the games. There's very few blowouts uh, Leicester went to Claremont and absolutely ran up a score so you would expect Claremont won't pick their strongest team for next week although I don't know um, but other than that like is the Leinster game over? Because Leinster have a 
an advantage heading into the top. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they they have been prone to complacency at this stage of the European competition in the past. Um, Connor played really, really well. Uh, was the red card? Uh, was the yellow card a red card? I don't know. Andy Friend didn't seem to be putting any pressure on loads of other people who are maybe um, free to speak more openly about one of their colleagues is uh, are saying that it should have been a red card for Gibson Park. The commentary certainly seemed to think it was a red card at that stage. Uh, from an Ulster perspective, like they nearly lost the game at the very end. And I do wonder if um, Toulouse had just kicked a penalty when they got the ball back down into the um, the 22 and it brought the game back some more. Or do Toulouse just think, well, we left 15 men for the whole game, so we're going to kill you. What's the big deal here? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, and like I, I think that maybe if these were one-legged ties, there could have been a few different scorelines, but it makes you watch and it makes you very, very interested in what's going to happen next week because we won't know the answers to a few of those questions until next week. Uh, Pascal Jacob has been in touch to say, Red just tuned in, whoever was okay, the jerseys for Connacht Leinster, bottom of the performance rankings, couldn't agree more with that. It was an absolutely uh, terrible colour clash. And the blue and the green, what's the, what's the issue? You're colour blind, are you? I must be. I must be. You could, you could, you, you thought there was no problem with that. Uh, I guess one of them could have worn white, i.e. Leinster, right? Yeah. Yeah, that could it's, have. It's, it's, it's good that these teams, because um, they never play each other and they never get to see this. You know, it's like, it, I guess, what's new, it's, it's so rare that Leinster would play Connacht in the sports grounds that they would, under lights, that they would, wouldn't have had an opportunity to spot this before. Yeah. We've, we've never had a test run for it. No. Um, like, I mean, obviously, the, when you talk about like, the, the Toulouse situation, and maybe you mentioned the controversy around the yellow card on Friday night, on Saturday night, there seems to be, like, it seems like Toulouse, I think Dupont actually said after the game, like, it shouldn't have been a red card. Which is like just an astonishing comment. Obviously, there's a, a siege mentality aspect to it, and backing up his teammate. But uh, like I think Wayne Barnes had to be escorted off the pitch in Toulouse at the weekend. Obviously, there was the, the added element of Balakoon allegedly being offside for his try, for his intercept try, his hat trick. He wasn't. He was onside, and, and Barnes got both of those decisions totally correct. So like Toulouse are like in a pretty bad losers spot after what happened at the weekend, and that'll probably just make them angry next week, and they'll yeah. probably be at their swashbuckling best. But like I think uh, Ulster deserve a, a huge amount of credit for what they did and, and how they managed to, to utilise the the extra man. And Balakun is just absolutely incredible. Like it, it did feel that he was a little bit of a, out of sight, out of mind during the Six Nations. Obviously, it was a good Six Nations for Ireland. They won the Triple Crown. They only lost one game. Matt Hansen was brilliant. James Lowe was brilliant. Hugo Keenan was excellent. So it's very, very hard to have made a case that Robert Balakun should have been more involved in the starting team for Ireland over the course of the Six Nations. But you look at what he did on, on Saturday against such a good team, and granted they were a man down, but you're like, you'd love to see a bit of that. You'd love to see that thrown in against the All Blacks in the summer and just see what happens. It's a very, very competitive position now, the back three for Ireland, which, which, which they're in a great position with at the moment. Yeah, and uh, all like relatively young players, like uh, Matt Hansen, 23, but I think Balakun's actually older than him, but um, you know, it's, uh, we, we are well stocked at the position of wing. Hansen was really good as well on uh, Friday yeah. night, I thought. So, um, but Balakun, like, uh, that's one of those dream scenarios. They just need to back it up. We've seen these performances from Ulster before where there's an inconsistency, but they just need to back it up now, and that would be a massive, massive leap forward. Yeah, it, it certainly would. Uh, the, the other element, obviously, from the weekend was, was Munster, which we'll touch on with Alan Quinlan a little bit later on, but they'll be absolutely delighted with how things 
turned out on the scoreboard on, on Saturday, I'd suspect. Just the amount of errors, the, the the way they just completely lost the battle of the breakdown in the first half on Saturday was pretty surprising. I think, I'm not sure, or does, uh, I, I think Munster fans would be pretty excited by the prospect of Graham Rountree taking over as head coach after seeing his um, outrage at halftime on the BT Sport cameras in the dressing room. Uh, he certainly wasn't letting the Munster team off the leash for that first half performance. And it came out a little bit better in the second half. Exeter probably will, will, will rue the fact that they didn't put more on Munster, especially with a couple of opportunities they had in that first half. So they come away from that, and, and, I, and I think that, that Munster will actually be deep down one of the big winners from the weekend. Guess the spreads, right, very quickly. Um, oh, Munster, for a single game? Yeah, for the single game. Uh, I would say Munster minus three. Uh I've got minus five, Munster minus five. Ulster plus ten. Ulster plus one. Plus one, yeah, plus ten is a bit harsh. They're no. Home. They're at home. What? Um, but it's Toulouse. Yeah, it is Toulouse. They're sensational, but like this. An angry Toulouse. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, like, maybe somewhere, somewhere in the middle of there. And then Leinster minus, let's go minus ten on Leinster. Minus 24. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That is on Andy Friend's dressing room wall Should this be. morning. It should be. We ain't getting no respect. You're going to put some respect on our name. Yeah. That's uh, like, I mean... It's, Take uh, my rugby team's <laughs> name out of your mouth. Uh, obviously, a few, a few years ago, it was, it was Ulster who, who came to the EV and almost uh, beat Leinster in one of those one-off games in the, the Champions Cup. So it can be done. They, they can get... They, like, again, Leinster did win that night, so it didn't matter. But uh, they can get rattles at home in, in Europe. It's not beyond the bounds of possibility. And, and Connacht would probably have a bit of confidence from what happened on, on Friday night as well. Uh, Rory's the full forward in junior club football who scores three class points when his team are being hammered 5-16 to 1-5 and there's seven minutes left says Brian <laughs> Dillon this is a variation on a theme that a lot of people were tweeting us last night um, I don't think it's the same I think that like Rory McIlroy was the best golfer for in the world for a long period of time he set the standard that's why as you were saying there was that move behind him uh, and, and people wanted to see him come back so it's like uh, it'd be like the dubs you know he, he was at Dublin's level of dominance Maybe not Dublin's level of dominance. He, he was more like that Tipperary team. Clearly the best team in the country for a couple of seasons. Yeah, and, and maybe... Surrounded, but bookended by greatness, right? Can I, can I just... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that yeah. like uh, th- th- that bit where this is all... It's, that's not all he's done. He was the best golfer in the world. He has he has beaten the big fields. He has, he has trounced them in the majors. Just And he nearly did it that one time, except that he found a part of the course that nobody knew existed. And that... Cause him to have a meltdown. Like finish fifteenth. It does feel that that criticism of, of McElroy might have been, you know, conjured up in people's minds at the turn last night, and and then that comment could have been sent in at that point, and everybody had kind of like formed their opinion on McElroy in that front nine, being like, okay, look at him doing this again when the pressure's not on him. But then in that back nine, he kept it up, and like he puts up a, a historic figure on a final day at Augusta. So like that changes it a little bit. I think it's it's not just about him delivering when there was little pressure on him yesterday. It was the fact that he put up a crazy score. At Augusta National, which obviously has given him one of his most painful memories in the past. But look, uh, John Duggan tipped him last week. Six out of the last ten, so what's that? Seven out of the last eleven times he's finished in the top ten at Augusta. It's a pretty good record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we finally move on this morning to the last person in our performance rankings, and that is Vicky Wall of Meath. Not player of the match yesterday for Meath as they won their first ever Division One National League title. But I think she was head and shoulders the best. Uh, player on the park yesterday it was uh, Neve McLaughlin of Donegal by the way uh, who scored a penalty absolute scorcher of a penalty uh, she got the, the player of the match yesterday but Wall's influence was just incredible throughout the match she's not the same player at all but it feels like her fingerprints on the team are quite akin to 
Kieran Kilkenny's fingerprints on the, the, the great Dublin team, given that you know you wouldn't necessarily see him tearing it up on the scoreboard. But when you watch the game, you're like, okay, that person is absolutely integral to how this team plays. And Wall is that person for me. Like, I would not be surprised whatsoever if Eamon Murray has completely ripped up the old cliche of let the ball do the work and actually just said to his team, let Vicky Wall do the work because she is that good. It actually is just as effective giving her the ball and letting her tear through the defence as it is kicking the ball into an, uh, a, a, an attacker in a one-on-one position. And what it does is that they've got some brilliant other attackers around her, especially in, in, in those two forward lines. And you've got like Nevo Sullivan, who scored an incredible goal early in the second half. Anybody who didn't see it, she was off balance, kind of reverse, uh, kicked it into, the, into the, the opposite corner. She was kind of moving away to the left. And then, as I say, on the reverse, kind of put it into to the right corner. And then Kelsey Nesbitt scored 1-1 as well. Emma Duggan with a couple of points. And when you've got those forwards around you, and you're tearing through the defence, and the defence is like, oh God, what do we do now? You've got those players with extra yards of space. And without her, I don't think Mead would have won the game yesterday. That's not exactly a hot take, because Donegal were really good. They only lost by two points. And they're a proper side as well. It's going to be a really, really exciting championship uh, after looking at it yesterday. And there was a picture put up afterwards of Wall and Damon Murray celebrating together. And uh, she quote tweeted it saying, still friends. Of right. course, Damon Murray slagged off the sport that she's going to go play this year. Maybe. But M- Murray did say that she's not going to go at any point this season. She, if she's going to go, she'll have to wait till after the All-Ireland Championship is complete. It looks like they might go all the way again this year. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, certainly. And it's going to be a nice little bit of spice to the game against the Dubs uh, later on in the uh, Championship. Um, this is the Gillette Labs performance rankings. If you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. The best place to do that is on the Instagram feed. There's a box there. You can tell us who you think should be in the red, the amber or the green. A lot of you giving out about the fact we haven't talked about the uh, Liverpool-Manchester City game just yet. We're going to do a full 25 minutes on it now with Mark Lawrence and so don't worry we understand that it was an excellent game of uh, high quality and it would certainly have been in the green we could easily put both teams in the amber because we're not quite sure what the result means for the title race but um, we are going to give that its full due deference in just a couple of minutes time OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 